Welcome to Catholic Radio for Katie Anna's presentation of Cajun Catholics. Here's your host, Todd Citron. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for bringing us together to talk about you, to talk about how you're active in our lives, how you have brought me to be a priest in your church, how you have brought all of us to follow you and to know you better. And we ask you to bless our conversation and to bless those who are listening. We ask all this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You're listening to Cajun Catholics. I'm your host, Todd Citron. My guest today is Father Sal East. He is the associate pastor at St. Anthony of Padua in Eunice. Welcome to the show, Sal. Glad to be here. All right. Sal and I are both cougars. I understand he's an, he's an STM guy. Right. But just tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm from Lafayette originally. I grew up in Fatima Church, and then I went to STM afterwards. And then after that, right out of high school, I discerned junior, senior year at STM to go into seminary. And then I ended up going to St. Ben's in Covington for three years, and then Mount St. Mary's in Maryland for a year, and then Notre Dame in New Orleans for uh, three years. Nice. So, a bunch of schools. So, would you consider yourself a Cajun Catholic? As much as, you know, I'm from Louisiana, yeah. and I am, my last name is East, I'm Cajun, so. <laughs> sure, sure. Absolutely, and uh, I, I noticed, I was reading a little bit about you online, that your parents were from like Baton Rouge and New Orleans? So, uh, my parents are separated, okay. uh, my mom lives in Baton Rouge with okay. my stepdad, and my dad lives in New Orleans I see. with my stepmom. All right, now I've been to St. Ben's on retreat, and it's a special place, yeah. It's uh, it really is uh, just such holy ground, you know, and, and you've been to a few seminaries, and I, that caught my attention. And how does St. Ben's stack up to the other places that you went to? St. Ben's is definitely the most beautiful yeah. seminary. And I miss, it, it's it's kind of a sprawling campus. All the buildings are kind of separated and there's all these acres of grounds that you can always walk. And it's so quiet. And then I was in New Orleans and that was right in the middle of the city. And I love that seminary, but St. Ben's was a great place to pray and to start your formation to the priesthood quietly in prayer. It was great. And for you, that started at an early age. Yeah, as long back as I can remember, I've wanted to be a priest, as far back as I can remember. That's awesome. I always want to know, you know, uh, where does the faith come from in your family? Uh, grandparents, parents, you know, uh, who instilled that in you? Definitely uh, my mom's mom. She passed away when I was 10, but it was because of her that I went to Catholic school. I went to Fatima School and then eventually STM. And it was because of her that I had the sacraments. I went to Mass. And it's because of her I'm a priest. Nice. I have no doubt. And is she still is she still alive? No, she passed away oh. when I was 10. And she oh, was herself a, a convert. from. Uh, she was the Methodist. Wow. So another thing that I, I'm always curious about is, um, you know, I had made Cursia 16 years ago, and, and I had, you know, many supernatural experiences. And I always thought to myself, I, I think priests must experience that on a maybe a greater level, and, and I guess you call it a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Like that for you a little bit? In, I mean, in, in the you, seminary? or Oh, at any time. I mean, was there a conversion moment for you, really, anything? It's just... You know, a lot of guys, that, especially guys who've, uh, they enter seminary later and older, they don't, they don't always have that kind of an experience. And I, I really didn't have any strong, striking conversion experience, but just a, you know, eight years in formation that God quietly, mm -hmm. consistently, you know, called me. Yeah. Campus ministry? Uh, at STM, no. That's amazing. 
you know it's funny because some of the most devout catholics that i know and some of them i'm close to my family are 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 just super devout catholics and and just totally miss the campus ministry thing at stm and uh and they didn't have that when i was a kid i wish that they had because it's they really got it going on over there i think you know uh, do you get back to STM some a little bit? Not much. I mean, you ask, but I'm saying uh, homecoming mass. Oh wow! Uh, on Friday oh, uh, nice. for STM, and now I am. I was in Karen Crow for a year at the Associated St. Peter's over there. Mm-hmm. We had a K through eight school. I taught seventh and eighth grade every day, uh, and then the bishop needed me to go and help in Eunice, so he moved me about five months ago, and now we have a K through twelve school. So I'm chaplain at a high school, and so. I didn't really have a lot of exposure to campus ministry at STM or involvement, and now I'm kind of having to relearn. How <laughs> bad? Because we're doing that at our high school. So, being a seventh and eighth grade teacher, I saw that on your resume a little <laughs> bit at a, at several schools. That's got to be tough. Yes, <laughs> there's no way around it. Um, I taught uh, sev- uh, or just eighth grade in Crowley at Redemptors, a school uh-huh. that's now closed, unfortunately. And then I taught all year last year at Karen Crow Catholic, an mm-hmm. amazing school. Um, with an amazing set of administrators and teachers. But 7th and 8th grade are such a unique age because they are so smart and they're so headstrong and uh, they're going to show you, they're going to tell you. <laughs> but it was great. It was great. So you've been around a lot of good Cajun Catholics. And yeah. w- what is it about our area that you find unique? Have, have you traveled much? Uh, but, yeah, I yeah. think so. And, and, and is, that, is our area different? <clears throat> I think our area, you know, I went to school in Maryland. I also spent some time in Nebraska and then being in kind of the Northeast uh, where there are Catholics, but we have such a cultural heritage of Catholicism. Uh, people kind of downplay that, but it's a beautiful thing. It is. It is a beautiful thing. And our people are in love with our Lord and Our Lady and, and they love devotions. They love to be a part of living the faith in the culture. Just look at what Father Champagne does with the Fête Dieu. That wouldn't really be possible in other places. People wouldn't buy in as they do here, I don't think. Uh, I like to say Cajun Catholics is a, is a, a marriage of faith and culture. You know, that's what you know. the Holy Spirit yep. kind of whispers in my ear. You, you've had some mentors as you've gone along, I'm sure. Uh, who have been your mentors in your, in your occupation? Sure. Well, growing up, Monsignor Provo, now Bishop Provo in Lake Charles, he was the pastor at Fatima when I was uh, you know, starting to be an altar server and when I was a, a student over there. And then he left and was replaced by Father Russo, who I've stayed close with over the years. Both great priests. Holy men. Holy men. (laughs) You know, hearing Father Russo preach for 12 years, I think has had an impact on my own preaching. Just like guys who grew up with Father Sibley, hearing him preach, that impacts their preaching. And and Hampton now, being with Hampton, uh, you know, Hampton's a close family friend and um, just a dynamic priest. And what's that like? It's been amazing. He's (laughs) He's a great pastor. He is always always supportive any kind of initiative I want to do at the school or in the parish he's just behind it immediately and then he says how can I help yeah <laughs> um, so he's a, just it's an amazing experience of being a, a part of a team in St. Anthony you and I both recently attended uh, Father Hampton's brother Hammy's uh, funeral mm-hmm. and uh, we were discussing that on the way over here but it, it really was I mean I, as I was reflecting this morning as it pertains to us Cajun Catholics that funeral was the funeral you know, that set the bar, I guess you could say. It was like no other. Yeah. Just very touching. Yeah. You know, what's your takeaway? I've told parishioners they've asked because they weren't able to go to the funeral. And I think first for Father Hampton and for his family, it was it was huge to be able to help them to grieve with so much of the people who knew Hammy in Lafayette because mm-hmm. there was, as you saw, 
the cathedral was packed, and then the hall also had overflow with the, you know live streaming. Just to have that support of people in the community was great for them to help them to grieve. But it was just a beautiful mass. It was really it well was done. Very touching and just overflow. So, what would you consider your charism to be, Father? Um, deep question. That is a deep question. Uh, <laughs> I think it's the charism of any priest to be able to bring Christ's love in the sacraments first, and then to be able to bring Christ's love through presence and whatever that may mean, be it at a hospital. Uh, bedside, be it at a coffee hour with uh, parishioners or whatever, but our, our our role as priests is first sacramental, but right next to it is being present as much as we can in our parish. And St. Anthony has a, a, a long history of that where the priests are always available. People call and they'll find us wherever we are on the property and we're there for them. It's a special place. Yeah. So another question I was going to ask you is um, what does your prayer life look like? So a daily holy hour is uh, absolutely necessary for a priest, for a priest to keep it together, to stay sane. I share that. <laughs> uh, but also for a priest um, to remain effective with his people. Uh, if he's going to be bringing Christ to them, talking about Jesus Christ every day, he has to be talking to Christ every day. Um, and so a daily holy hour, um, the breviary, uh, and time with scripture. Um, is absolutely necessary. For me, I, I have a special devotion to the Psalms uh, oh, wow. outside of the breviary uh, every day. Um, and so it's, it's kind of uh, indispensable for a priest. But also the celebration of Mass uh, is the highest point of, of anyone's day, but especially a priest. Um, and not just on days when we're assigned Mass, but on even days off. Um, so far, I've been able to celebrate Mass every day, which has wow. been beautiful. It is. That's fantastic. So what would you say to a Catholic or a non-Catholic if they challenge you and say, is Jesus truly present in the Eucharist? I mean, how would you – I want to ask you how you prove that. Uh, well, uh, a little comment comes to mind. Uh, John Vianney, when he would preach on the Eucharist, there was one particular sermon where he got to the pulpit and then he pointed at the tabernacle and said, he is there, nice. he is there, he is there. Um, and to those who, who would question, then we can look in Scripture. Um, Jesus is clear. He's emphatic. This is my body. This is my blood. He doesn't say this is a symbol of my body or this is something that uh, will remind you of my body. He does tell us to do it in remembrance. But he says, this is my body. And from the earliest apostolic times, we have understood that in the Eucharist, uh, Jesus Christ is present, truly present. Have you had an opportunity to go to the Holy Land? I have not. Not yet. I, I really want to. <laughs> I'm going. When you go, I want you to invite us. We, we, we want to go. I'm ready. Uh, I, I did get to go with my daughter a few years back, and, and thinking of John 6, it, um, the scene of, of where all that took place, I believe, is in it's, uh, it's, it's near um, the place where, where Jesus healed the paralytic. Mm -hmm. And it's like there's still the the synagogue i guess you'd call it the columns are still there but it's this place where john six took place and very powerful and yeah. when i read you know the gospels uh and and you and you go to those places it's it's overwhelming and you know my takeaway from the holy land was believe it or not it's it's a lot like lafayette it's um kind of a similar climate and you know, I think that that Galilee is a lot like Toledo Bend. It's it looks like that a little bit. That's a strange comparison, but it uh, the same kind of flowers and I don't know. You know, it just seemed like home to me. You yeah. know, 
but that's I think what's what I love about Cajun country is that um, you know it, it is the holy land for me. Right, and to <laughs> some people from other parts of the country, we're known as the holy land in the in yeah. South Louisiana. We are. I think so. Uh, so I would remind our listeners, you're listening to Cajun Catholics, and today's guest is um, Father Sal East. He is the associate pastor at St. Anthony's Padua, of Padua? Of Padua, Of yeah. Padua, in, uh, in Eunice, and it's just a, a real blessing to have him on the show today. Father, um, 2020 has been something else. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're taping this show on the eve of the election and we don't know who the president's going to be. Right. And, um, this show is going to actually air in 2021. And, um, what, what do you make of this year and all this craziness? Uh, first, I, you know, this has been a crazy year. That's absolutely true. Uh, and a lot of people, especially my parishioners who I talk to are anxious. They are worried. And like you say, this is day two of the election right now. Election day was yesterday. We don't know who the president's going to be. And I've talked to so many prisoners just this morning who are worried about the outcome. One gentleman told me, Father, whatever happens, it's going to be bad. (laughs) That's not good. (laughs) No, it's not good. And I think Jesus has something to say to that. Um, He told us he will be with us always. Um, And he said, I will never leave you as orphans. Um, And so it's okay to be anxious. Uh, We shouldn't shouldn't bottle up our anxiety and say it's not there. It's a true thing that we're dealing with. However... um, Jesus asked us to trust in him because he's already conquered everything. And the reading yesterday uh, for Holy Mass was St. Paul saying, do not be anxious because you've been praying. Uh-huh. If you are praying, uh, the anxiety will, will not be so strong within you. And I think that's a message for us right now. And in 2021, who knows? <laughs> who it's going to be a great year. <laughs> yeah, we hope. We yeah. pray. <laughs> Less than five hurricanes and um, maybe no more corona. That's the uh, hope. But... Um, yeah, um, I, I just, in my prayer, you know, I, a lot of people are anxious, um, and it, it, it seems like a holy war. It seems like, you know, the Catholics versus the rest of the world, mm-hmm. or God versus the devil. I don't know. I don't want to over, overpaint the picture, but, but I tell people there's going to be another election in four years. It's, right. <laughs> if we right. can survive till then, you know, it'll be okay. But uh, who knows how it's going to turn out, but um, it's been interesting. But um, to that point, you know, I understand now that there's are there six uh, Catholics on the Supreme Court, I believe. Is right. that sound about right? You know, that's it's pretty interesting. You know, it's a beautiful thing. It is. <laughs> it's wonderful. Uh, and um, so that that's you know enough about politics. We need to go back to religion, which is your subject. Hmm. So. Uh, tell me if uh, if there's a Bible character that uh, you most relate to uh, in your in your prayer life. Um, Saint Joseph uh, oh, has come him. up a lot recently in yeah. my own prayer life. Um, Saint Joseph in Scripture says uh, nothing. <laughs> he's he's a quiet <laughs> man, but he is a man who is devoted to our Lord uh, from the very beginning to the very end, and he's the patron of a happy death because. Um, we're told, uh, separate from Scripture, but we're told that St. Joseph was aided in his death um, by Our Lady and Our Lord. Um, and so he's, he's just kind of been popping up because our world has needed a strong, quiet leader uh, in St. Joseph, especially now through everything that's been happening. We really need to lean on him. The Holy Spirit's working in this booth because um, I just did my St. Joseph consecration. Beautiful. Just finished, uh, I guess, maybe maybe less than three weeks ago, and it was, Wow. I highly recommend anyone who, who has that opportunity. There's a book uh, with the St. Joseph Consecration, and it, it's beautiful. It's it's an, a daily devotional. And I learned so much about St. Joseph that uh, 
I didn't know, you know, and yeah. I have a devotion in my prayer life. Uh, you know, every morning when I pray, it's, uh, oh, St. Joseph, protect us, pray for us, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. that's something I wasn't doing b- before. Yeah, and he is the protector of the church, and uh, in a time when the church is kind of being uh, talked down to uh, in a national way and even globally, we need him to be the great protector of our church. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need to have the dogma live loudly within us. Uh, tell me about what your feeling is about you're you're, um, teaching these young seventh and eighth graders um, and and I'm sure they're not all (laughs) uh, angels uh, you know but but what is your take on the youth today versus maybe when you were a kid sure Um, I think and I've talked to different priests about this um, I think there may be a little less of an understanding of uh, of the need to make sacrifices of the need to uh, and I don't mean large life sacrifices but to do things for others that require sacrifice of us. That's the root of, of true charity, is to uh, be able to make a sacrifice for the good of another. Uh, and I see, or I saw in some of my students in different schools, I was even involved in a school in Pennsylvania when I was a student at Mount St. Mary's, um, that that in some way lacks. And I think the best way to remind the students, which I did so often, was to point them towards Calvary mm-hmm. and to show them this is what love looks like. This is the greatest sacrifice and then we have to copy that and whenever we go to mass we're present at calvary and we are reminded every time we go to holy mass of what true love looks like it looks like the cross Uh, and so what i I would instill that in my students and remind them of that and i think maybe some educators might not want to put that focus on children but these kids are so much brighter Mm -hmm. than we give them credit for they are so much brighter Uh, i had students especially in my seventh grade class last year that would stump me. They would ask questions, <laughs> insightful questions, and I would have to say, I have to think about that. I have to get back to you. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I, they're, they're not only bright, but um, they have so much more to deal with. And yeah, I, you're, you're a young guy. <clears throat> How old are you? 27. 27. Young, young guy. Actually, I'm twice as old as you. Exactly. Uh, but, um, Father, tell me uh, what the social media brings to it. Uh, how, is, how was it for you growing up with the social media, and, and, and what's it like today for these kids? Growing up, like when I was at STM, we certainly had you know Facebook, Instagram, yeah. Twitter. Um, I guess MySpace was kind of fading. Um, but now, as a teacher, uh, we would have things brought to the school and to the administration about apps I'd never heard about. Um, and so the kids are they're picking things up in a way at a speed that is not familiar to me and I'm pretty close to you know uh, when the apps were kind of spreading all around around youth Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's something that we need to kind of be aware of that um, these are kids now who have had iPads and iPhones and laptops accessible since they were toddlers and I say toddlers because you see three and four year olds being um, kind of pacified with an iPad it's true and they have uh, they're able to sometimes operate it better than their parents and you see that um, and I remember I asked some of my eighth graders last year, you know, uh, how many of you guys have a phone? Thinking not many would. All of them. Oh. All of them. They, don't, they can't, couldn't bring them to school, but all of them had phones. Um, and Pretty I was, scary. And I was wondering, what do you need with a phone? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and the, and the answer is always like when my wife first got a phone, it's safety. Right. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I need safety, sure. I'm waking yeah. over here. Uh, that's that's something else. Yeah, we lo- we love our children uh, and we want to give them the best, but sometimes right. uh, it's not 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 what's best for them. Uh, so if if I had to ask t- 
two questions. Your parishioners, what type of priest you are, what would they say? And and and, I, and if I ask you that question, what type of priest are you or that you want to be? Would okay. they? Would they? Uh, if you ask my parishioners in Eunice what kind of priest I am, uh, I hope <laughs> they would say um, that I'm a priest who loves his people and who is available, who is reverent, um, and who loves our Lord. Uh, and that that's also the priest that I, I hope to be. Um, uh, you know, I've only been a priest for about a year and a half now, uh, and so I'm still learning kind of what a priest does and even who he is. And I'm sure you talk to a priest who's been a priest for 50 years who said the same thing. I'm still learning. Um, but when I first got to Karenkrow and I sat down with Father Mark Ledoux, um, we were talking about expectations, and I, I told him, look, I've been in seminary for eight years. I don't know what a priest does all day. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's truly a learning experience. Different than you thought? Yes. Yes, really? because we spent so much time in uh, it's graduate studies and heavy academic courses, um, which are great. They're mm -hmm. a great background. They are necessary. Um, but the daily life of a priest that doesn't academic life doesn't have much to do with the daily life of a priest. Yeah. Uh, so or, it's are a businessman either. <laughs> right. It, so it's been a beautiful surprise. It really has been. Yeah, I took a lot of calculus in college, and I'm like, ah, when am I ever going to use this <laughs> never. stuff? Never. It's never. <laughs> You know, and so for you, um, you know, same thing, I guess. Um, uh, what type of priest, you know, do you want to? Well, or, or, or rather, I know it's hard. I've asked, I've had some priests on the show, and you, you know, it's like wherever God leads you. I understand yeah. that. But are, do you have aspirations uh, as a priest? Um, I certainly. I, I mean, I'd love to be a pastor one mm -hmm. day. Um, but beyond that, I just, uh, I kind of, <laughs> I, I want to bloom where I'm planted. I want to do mm -hmm. what God wants wherever. I'm called, um, and that's kind of through the voice of the bishop. Wherever the bishop assigns us, mm -hmm. um, we do the absolute best that we can with God's help, uh, and we lead where the Spirit kind of pushes us as far as initiatives and things to do in the parish, um, and just to be as present and available as we can. So something that's been on my heart, um, we're doing a study Bible of John, mm -hmm. and um, I'm on chapter 11, I believe it is, with, with, with Lazarus being raised. Uh, and just my friend and I, my spiritual partner, we've really been getting into some deep conversations about, about that whole scene. Uh, and so, you know, um, are, there, are there Bible, you know, scenes or verses that, 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 that you, like, that's in your prayer life right now? Sure. Um, especially in, in the Gospel of John, uh, uh, when Jesus is resurrected. Uh, this particular verse has been in my prayer a lot recently. Um, he's resurrected, and uh, Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb to find him, um, but she doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener. Um, and she's asking questions, and she's confused. She's weeping, and our Lord says, Why are you weeping? And eventually, all he has to do is call her name. He calls her name, and there's that immediate recognition that this is the Lord, and she falls to his feet. Um, and I think in some way, uh, through everything that's happened in the past year since uh, March with the coronavirus, a lot of people have had those kinds of moments mm -hmm. of realizing it is the Lord uh, and how much we need God. And we've seen that in our own churches with, um, even though we're still under all these coronavirus restrictions, people are coming back mm -hmm. faithfully. And every week we have people returning for the first time since the pandemic and saying, Father, I just, I have to be in church. I have to be in mass because we, they need the Lord. Um, so it's been beautiful. This gentleman that sits next to me sometimes in mass, when they consecrate the Eucharist, he'll, he'll say out loud, uh, my Lord and my God. Right. 
And I love that. And he's, I'm so jealous because he's bold, you know, in his faith to be the only person in the congregation to say that. But it's that moment of, oh, Jesus, I recognize you. There you are, right. you know, in the Eucharist. It's so beautiful, you know. It is. And I've actually seen a priest do it. We have a, a fishing camp down in Stevensville by Morgan City, and there's a, a small little uh, church there. And, I, and I've seen a foreign priest actually, when he went to consecrate, it said, my Lord and my God. I guess that's not really something they teach you in seminary. Too. No, I know before Vatican II, it was a common uh, thing that was taught to children when the priest raised the host to say, uh-huh. my Lord and my God. I say it quietly. Uh, under my breath uh, when I elevate the host and I and I look at it in holy mass it's a great reminder and it's it's a it's a scriptural quotation I think it would be neat if uh, the church adopted that as a something that we say as a congregation uh, you say that but I, I met a lady recently who had she was in Central America or South America and wherever she was it that was the uh, yeah. that was the practice the whole church saying my Lord and my God wow. it's beautiful that is I like that a lot we need to push for that <laughs> uh, so tell me about your thoughts about tinction if that's something that we'll migrate to because we we all thirst for the blood of Christ sure. and you know where are we gonna ever get get the wine again uh, I think, you know, in as much as we, we really do have hope with vaccines um, to be able to move out of this pandemic and the, the kind of state we're in with all these restrictions, I think eventually the precious blood will return. Um, and intinction is, is, a, is a choice, is an option. Uh, in Karen Crow, where I was, that's been a practice. The parishioners tell me for 30 or 40 really? years, every Mass um, was through intinction. Um, so it can be done, and it can be done reverently. Um, Tell our listeners what that is, because some of them don't know. Sure, sure. So intinction is uh, you have the two species, the the, uh, the host, the, the body of our Lord, and the precious blood, which can be offered the host separately, uh, and the precious blood in a chalice, or the host can be uh, dipped reverently into the precious blood and then brought to the mouth of a person. And there are guidelines. John Paul II, St. John Paul II gave guidelines saying whenever this is done, there are certain things that have to be followed, like a, a patent, a sacred vessel has to be put under the chin of the person. Um, and so it takes a little more care to be done, but I did it every day for a year in Karen Crow, so you know, it can be done. A couple of minutes left on the show. Um, just uh, what's in thoughts uh, that you have, and I wanted to maybe brush on the the the, the kid that's uh, going to be a saint potentially. Uh, you probably know, I can't even think. Attic, 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 Acutus. You know. I read a little bit of an article yeah. about him. Somebody sent me. It's, He's it's un- great. Incorrupt. You know. Uh, that that whole thing, man. That's that's beautiful. Um, but anyway, uh, it's it's your your last couple of minutes on the show. You know, uh, any messages for our good Cajun Catholics out there? Uh, the same message as I mentioned before that um, to be a Christian is to be a person of of faith, to be a person who trusts our Lord um, because He makes us promises, promises that He always keeps because He is God. He said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." And so His promises that He will be with us and that He will never abandon us, he means that. Uh, And so, although we have anxiety, although we have concerns, although we have things weighing on us, uh, our Lord has already conquered everything, and he's waiting to to heal us and to bring us closer and closer to his sacred heart. Uh, And so, we can practice St. Faustina's words, Jesus, I trust in you. I think those are the words for 2020 that we need to remember. 
Oh, you've been such a blessing, Father, to the show. Thank you for coming on, and thank you for your commitment to, so to happy our to. Lord. Thank you, Todd. Yes, sir. Uh, so you've been listening to Cajun Catholics. Um, all of our episodes are now on um, Apple uh, Podcast and on Spotify. So if you want to hear any of the previous episodes, you can go on uh, Apple Podcast on your phone or on Spotify and, and, and search Cajun Catholics, and you can get that. Again, uh You've been listening to Cajun Catholics uh, with Father Sal East, and just uh, thank you for coming on the show. Um, Again, we always ask you to engage the Cajun Catholic in you, and again, until next time, God bless. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you.